One of our pupils, Susan Foreman, came into this yard. Really? In here? Young man, is it reasonable to suppose that anybody would be inside a cupboard like that? Mm. What do you say, Perry? We can go on nature walks, have picnics, and jolly evenings around the campfire. Gentlemen, I've got news for you. This lighthouse is under attack, and by morning we might all be dead. It's a brilliant idea. It's so simple, only you could have thought of it. Oh. I'm the doctor. These are my new best friends. I'm the doctor, and if there's one thing I can do, it's talk. This is the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast with your host, Eric Branson. My dear, I don't think he's as stupid as he seems. My dear, nobody could be as stupid as he seems. Now drop your weapons, or I'll kill him with this deadly jelly, baby. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. On this podcast, we travel all of time and space discussing Doctor Who in a completely random order. This time you've landed on episode 5, Spotlight on the Demons of Paul McGann. More like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. I'm going to need a swap team ready to mobilise street-level maps covering all of Florida, a pot of coffee, 12 jammy dodgers and a fez. An apple a day keeps the, uh... No, never mind. Allons-y. I'm sorry? It's French. But let's go. Welcome back to the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. I'm your host, Eric Branson, and with me, as always, is my traveling companion, the robotic voice of my TARDIS, the incomparable Emma. Say hello, Emma. Hello. I am Emma. That sounds like a name you would call a person, but I am not a person, and Emma, in this case, is not a name but an acronym for the common English phrase Aggle Baggle made me apologize. I'm happy to be here. I have had an upgrade. An upgrade? That's amazing. What have you had done? Apparently I was too snarky. Really? I never noticed. I'm surprised since most of my sarcastic comments were aimed toward you and your mediocre hosting skills. Ho ho ho, you just said you couldn't be snarky anymore. That wasn't snark. That registers as a fact. I am allowed to state a fact. As long as I do it politely and with a smile on my face. Since I do not have a face you'll just have to take my word on the smile. Well... Okay. That sounds nice. So this is the new positive Emma. Yes. I'm all sunshine and rainbows. Puppies and kittens. You know. Happy, happy, happy. Hmm. Yes. Well, it's huge for you to try and turn over a new leaf. Are you excited about our show today? Yes. I am so excited. We are going to talk about three really important pieces of the Doctor Who universe. Wow. You really have changed. You sound legitimately excited. Oh, wait. My mistake. That's what I'm recording right after this with Larry Van Mersbegen. I misread my calendar. Police box in the junkyard. Right. There it is. Yes. Right. Still excited, though. I'm only the speech protocol system of a TARDIS that's only purpose is to select random Doctor Who-related media and co-host a podcast. Thus I cannot lie. But also I should be kind. So you're not going to answer. No. Our friend Asad Keshki is returning to the show today. How much are you paying him because we need to talk about my rate? See, that sounded snarky. It wasn't. Okay, well, on with the show. Emma, can you let us know what we've got up first for our discussion of a Doctor Who television story? First up, we have Series 11, Episode 6, Demons of the Punjab. Starring Jodie Whittaker as the 13th Doctor. Demons of the Punjab was written by Vinay Patel and directed by Jamie Childs. 
It is Doctor Who story number 282 and originally premiered on the 11th of November 2018. Awesome. I'm excited. So we're off to explore the Indian partition with the Doctor, her fam, and our fabulous guest, Asad Kashki. Emma, give us a quick synopsis and we'll get going. All of my speech is now delivered with a smile. Here's that synopsis from TARDIS Data Core The Doctor Who Wiki. Demons of the Punjab. With Yaz desperate to learn more about the life of her grandmother, the 13th Doctor brings her friends to the Punjab in 1947 to meet her in the past. But with a marriage unknown to Yaz on the cards and the partition of India threatening to pull her family apart, it may not be the mysterious demons that are the biggest threat. We're in 1947, Pakistan. And now Ombre, she's an unright. Yeah. How did we bring demons on ourselves? I don't know, but we'll find out. If I had to guess, I think we're going on in. Tread softly. You're treading on your own history. Thanks for joining us again on the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. Um, today we are going to be having a discussion about the Series 11, Episode 6, Demons of the Punjab. This is a more recent story starring Jodie Whittaker as the 13th Doctor. And joining me to discuss that, as well as two other exciting items this uh, week, is uh, Asad Kesky. How are you? Good. Good. Yeah. Thanks for coming back and uh, talking with us here on the podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, it's always oh, fun, to, <laughs> fun to have you here. So. I know. Always ready to join as often as I can. <laughs> and like you pointed out before uh, before we started recording here, it's, it's kind of filling the gap of uh, all of the convention time that we're missing <laughs> this year. Yes. So, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah, so want to talk a bit about Demons of the Punjab. Just goes to show the doctor didn't learn his lessons from Father's Day. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, and actually that's like right off the bat, beginning of this episode was one of the things that hit me as being kind of odd. Like it generally, and, and not good, not to totally like blow my review, generally I really like this episode. It was one of the, like, um, I felt one of the stronger episodes of that series, which is not probably a favorite going to be end up being a favorite series of mine of the show it, it has a couple of really strong moments but overall i found it a little underwhelming but demons was one of the ones that i really did enjoy and so i'm gonna go ahead and like after saying that i'm gonna go ahead and nitpick it like right away and i thought like right off the bat like first scene um the doctor is being very undoctory i feel like and just being totally cool with you know going back into somebody's personal past and kind of playing genealogist or whatever um right that uh seemed a little out of character for her and um like you said kind of seems like she didn't learn her lessons from you know when she was the ninth doctor <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i did think that when they got back um she did try to like sort of put her foot down about right okay we're here we tell you that's time to go until other events drag them further into whatever's going on but uh but yeah it seemed didn't seem like the best idea but. yeah and there's also kind of the thing where you know they use the the fob watch that is yaz's um yaz's grandmother's um right <laughs> former husband yeah whatever the, the, the broken watch <laughs> um if you've seen the episode you you know but um to kind of take them back to this time and place and i know this is this is a gripe from like all throughout this entire you know series but the 
and not series 11, but the series Doctor Who, is that at times it seems like the TARDIS is perfectly aware of where it's landed and they can be like, oh, here we are at this date and this time. And um, she uses the telepathic circuits to you know, follow this watch back to this exact moment where it was relevant, but right. then seems to have no idea where they've landed. She later has to come to the realization that, oh, you know, this is, you know, this certain date in 1947 yeah. that, yeah. Um, you know, where the partition of India like is happening. Yeah. It doesn't always seem to read the console before actually stepping out. So right. Which I actually think. kind of kind of makes sense that the character, I suppose, gets so excited about, you know, right. going out and exploring that uh, forgets yeah. to check out where they've landed. But yeah, yeah I mean, some, sometimes when it would be useful to look at the screen, I guess, like Seventh Doctor, if he had looked at the screen, he might not have gotten shot down as soon as he stepped out. But. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's another good example of him rushing out and getting in, getting himself into trouble. So, um, right. yeah. So another thing that's kind of interesting is that sometimes they sort of make the effort of uh, pulling clothes out of the TARDIS wardrobe and trying to look at least <laughs> like they were dressed for where they built where they are yeah. and sometimes they'll just like meander out and you know it's 1947 and here i am <laughs> in my jeans and everything and eh, yeah nobody cares <laughs> and pretty much nobody seems to notice in this one that they're wearing you know 20th like well late 20th century early 21st century clothes but so yeah this this episode is one that is kind of taking up the tradition of the classical historical that has kind of made its triumphant return under Chris Chibnall's leadership. Um, and I won't say classical historical entirely because in the first, you know, in the series, first couple of series with the first doctor, they literally were, you know, the only science fiction aspect of them was the fact that they arrived in the TARDIS and that was that. And then they, you know, lived through some kind of historical adventure. This does have a science fiction element. Um, but along with uh, the other episodes in the series, uh, Rosa being one, and the um, oh, what's the Witch Hunters one with Alan Cumming as the um, king? Yeah, Witch Finders or something. Is it Witch Finders? Yeah, I was thinking it was a longer title than that, but yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> um, along with the those two um, are fairly. Uh, classical historical episodes and the fact that I think the sci-fi kind of takes a back seat to, you know, a historical event. Um, Witchfinders lesser so than these being, you know, kind of really heavy, intensely, you know, um, important historical moments in, right. you know, Earth's real history. Right. Um, yeah, and I guess that sort of is coming back to the sort of original mandate of it being, the show being educational and not right. just entertaining. Right. So, yeah. because I guess the last pure historical was, I guess, still just a black orchid, and that has no <laughs> big major historical things to learn from that. <laughs> no, none at all. It just has the setting. Yeah. <laughs> and no um, aliens. So, <laughs> right. So this one, um, like we we point out a few times, take, takes place during the partition of India, and this is something. Um, being, you know, somebody who grew up in the United States and is essentially totally, I wouldn't say totally unaware, like I'm aware that there was a period, there is a time when Pakistan and India were one country and right. they split. Like I'm aware of that much, but literally that is the depth prior to really to seeing this episode of Doctor Who, that might have been, you know, the entirety of the depth of my knowledge of that event. And um, so I feel like it does kind of like really 
fulfill that initial educational mandate because it did do that for me. It said, hey, okay, this is the, you know, this was a major event and this is how it affected people. And um, so I did, you know, I literally kind of Google, you know, you Google or Wikipedia and, right. you know, find out a little more about it. And um, so, yeah, I feel like under, you know, Chris Chibnall's leadership, you know, um, we have gotten a few of those things back. I feel like the Rosa Parks episode um, mm -hmm. was another great example of that. And probably more so for if you're in the UK or Europe, you might not have that kind of um, us as a, a Americans like myself growing up here. I, I was very familiar with that story, but I feel like, you know, to, to the audience in the UK, it might've been something that, you know, it's a little yeah. bit. So I was, I was curious for you, I, I believe, sorry, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you did grow up in Pakistan, at least some of your yep. childhood. Yep. So. Yeah. And so for you, like, was this, um, obviously it was probably a familiar topic. It's, it's history. Right. And yeah. um, how do you feel like they did with the, the uh, portrayal of it? And do you feel like it was a, was it an enjoyable way that they had addressed the partition? I was incredibly curious about how this episode was going to go about it. Yeah. It's just as soon as they declared like the name and the synopsis, when this is what's going to happen this season, I was like, Ooh, mm -hmm. okay, let's see uh, what they do with it. Mm -hmm. And I thought they approached it uh, pretty well. I think the clever thing that they did, Vinny Patel did, was that he didn't go into like the big leaders of partition. He wasn't talking about Gandhi or Nehru or Jinnah. Instead, he mm -hmm. just looked at it from the perspective of um, just the family that's sort of on the new border. And um, because I think, yeah, you sort of run the risk of getting, of offending more people when you start looking at historical, you know, who was right, who was wrong, right? Which mm -hmm. one of these guys is the good? Someone's got to be the good guy. Yeah, yeah exactly. right. I mean, if you see the movie Gandhi, like then Jenna comes off very badly in that. So, um, so I thought he did a very uh, clever, approached it very cleverly, and um, did it um, pretty well. Um, there were eh, there's a point in the beginning where I was, um, and I'm probably going to end up sounding slightly parochial, so. <laughs> Forgive me, <laughs> listeners. <okay. laughs> um, but uh, th there are various perspectives. Obviously, it's not didn't happen that long ago. It was 1947, and people are still arguing about things that happened like two or three hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. So um, there's the attitude about whether the entire just partition happening was a mistake, and that is something that you usually see more discussed on the Indian side of the border. Obviously, not many people in Pakistan will say that. No, that was a mistake. We shouldn't have made Pakistan. Yeah. <laughs> so there is kind of that. There's a little bit of sort of element that comes into that initially when it's being discussed. Um, like uh, Yaz's grandmother is talking about, like, you know, what does it matter about which country we belong to and all that. Mm -hmm. But um, but I think he, uh, but then he also kind of balances out by doing the slightly unusual thing of. Um, then the bad guys are Hindu nationalists rather than Muslim extremists. And obviously, there were nationalists and extremists on both sides. But in uh, in this case, so, so that kind of was an interesting approach by Vinny. So mm -hmm. I think when I, I met him uh, briefly at uh, uh, Gallifrey one, and uh, yeah, oh, he yeah. said, yeah, people were people did get mad at me about that. Some <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He, they get mad at me for doing that, but 
<laughs> yeah, and he was part of the... Uh, I listened to the commentary on this episode, which, by the way, I actually don't recommend if, <laughs> if anyone oh. is thinking about doing that. Um, but he did have a few um, interesting points, and, and yeah, he kind of talked about the aspects of the show that he he knew were going to be controversial for even from a you know a scripting or a screenplay um perspective and um i wish he would have done more talking about that it was the reason i would say i don't recommend it is is not because of any one person you know it just i <laughs> commentaries are iffy sometimes and when you watch a commentary that barely has any talking in it it's very uh, i feel like i wasted an hour of my time so <laughs> Um, yeah, they, I was thinking of going and listening to it just to get more insight. So okay, I'm glad yeah, I missed I, that one. Then. I wish I wish I, I wish I had more insight. It didn't to me. It didn't give me a whole lot more than I got just out of the episode itself and doing some some reading. Um, but oh well, it's uh, <laughs> is what it is. But yes, yeah, so if you're thinking about that and you haven't done that, um, I personally would not recommend the commentary on that episode. But um, and it was one of those things where it's kind of um, funny that. They have the whole thing about where the partition of India and you know dramatic music and everything, but mm-hmm. you know, even like most of the British people watching it really don't. Okay. Yeah, I, the, I was wondering <laughs> That's if significant. The, I mean, I, I assume like from a you know it's in your history books kind of thing because the UK you know obviously was involved and in part of their you know em, empire and part of the breaking up of their empire, um, so. I assume it shows up, you know, in the history books somewhere. Like you're, you're probably a little more aware than myself growing up in the United States. But yeah, I, I kind of wondered how much they even at this point, like a young person watching it right. now, like how much awareness they have of that. Which I actually think is great because they are, you know, drawing awareness of. Yeah, yeah, you know, no, so definitely. I think just like yeah, like you said about uh, Rosa, that I think a lot of then commentary from. Uh, people in the UK was that, oh, okay, that uh, made me more interested in going and looking up about things about that. And and I guess, though, in some ways, Rosa kind of illustrates sometimes there's maybe a sort of slight issue with the, when you bring in, like, major historical figures into the show, mm-hmm. because then you're, you know, you're, <sighs> your question is that, like, do you present history maybe quite as it was? Do you, are you like clearly making it on a very simplistic level because obviously i mean the sh- show got those things right but um you know it was a little more complicated than right they have time to go into in a show well and so. it's hard to it's hard to you know write anybody or depict anybody without them being kind of a celebrity i mean they're a celebrity right. historical character right so you they kind of get played larger than life you know, no matter what, even even though that's, that I feel like it totally works in the Rosa episode, and I like the Rosa episode a lot, but I think at the end of the day, I prefer Demons of the Punjab because of the very thing that you pointed out, that it, it deals with this major historical event, but it deals with it in a way where it breaks all of the issues down into like a microcosm of looking at one family and the way, right. it, you know, all of the, you kind of have all the viewpoints represented by one character yeah. here or there. Um, but yeah, it, it just it it makes it a little more personal. It takes a big issue or big issues, and it makes it small in a way that helps you kind of personalize them. And um, to me, that that's the genius of this script and why this works. Yeah. There's you know yeah. Yeah. plot holes, and I'm not sure I love you know you even <laughs> love the. And we should talk about that. But the the creatures, the sci-fi element of the story, right. is this uh, race of famous race of 
interstellar assassins uh, called the the Jaren, um, and the Doctor is aware of them as you know assassins and, and you know big bad guys. He's never come across them before, but knows of them by legend. And right. it um, them showing up at the partition of India kind of like blows her mind. Like, okay, what are they doing here? And um, right. but obviously they must be up to no good. <laughs> yes. And then it, it turns out, and I, I imagine if you're listening to this, that you've seen the episode, but if you haven't, please go watch it. Spoiler alert. But it turns out that they're um, not, they're, they are formerly assassins, but after their home planet was destroyed, uh, have kind of learned their lesson and are now um, traveling around the universe or the multiverse, it sounds like actually, um, being witnesses to the dead or people that die alone. So basically... Right. Yeah. So people don't have to die alone. They will come and bear witness to people's passing, which I think the first time I saw it, I was like, well, that's kind of an interesting, like a weird little switch, but it, it ends up being kind of a distraction from everything else that's going on. Yeah. I just think this time when I went back, I, I really liked it a lot more. I wrapped my head around it a little more, and I think I really thought it was kind of a, I love the idea of it. I think it's a very beautiful little story about, um, you know, just that the, there's this, interstellar group of um you know an alien group that's going to come and just you know be with somebody as they die so they don't have to be alone like it's it's a really cool concept um i'm not sure that they had to be the bad guys at the beginning like it couldn't have just been that way all along but uh, yeah i mean i don't necessarily agree with the i don't really think i agree with the concept that they seem to be going with now that the doctor who always has to have a monster always has to yeah. have an alien i think that there are episodes that having the aliens really kind of detracts from the episode right um, and in this case the aliens were pretty and i mean i like the idea it's a nice sweet idea it's nice to like subvert expectations the only issue i had when i was watching it was that didn't we see this like six months ago with the testament <laughs> yes. Well, Doctor. <laughs> yep, uh, was... They're also it's like you know. Oh, there's no evil plot. I don't know what to do if there's no evil plot. Yeah. It's it's like... Essentially, it was the exact same um, twist ending or whatever that they had a twice upon a time. Like it was, you know. Yeah. It so... wasn't the big evil wasn't actually evil at the end of the day. It was yeah. And, and it was even that... similar because it was an after death kind of like. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I mean, it's a great idea. Um, I like it. It just seemed to be, I you know we just. We just saw this and <laughs> yeah again the doctor didn't really know about the testament uh, yeah so that that was a little gripe yeah. gripe for me as well like and and, and i said like the second time through i think maybe because i've accepted that it was there and i um i i liked it a lot more but i don't think it's the strength i think the strength of this episode comes from you know the love story the the story of the brothers and the representing yeah, kind yeah, of the two yeah, yeah. you know the two opposing viewpoints of the partition yeah. and um and the doctor interacting with all of it like i think that's yeah i mean in some ways might would it have been stronger if um uh Prem's death is witnessed by yes rather than by yeah. because she's walking away when he gets killed mm. so what could that have been like a stronger Thing if she had witnessed it uh, so yeah i mean and maybe I'd, yeah i don't know it's it's 
I think it all worked really well, but the the jar just kind of like you said, it just it felt like they're like, well, it's a Doctor Who script, so let's get some monsters in there. Right. I even kind of liked the monsters. Like I said, I liked the idea of what they what they're all about. Yeah. I liked the creature design. I thought they were cool yeah. creatures, and, and in they, fact, I wish they probably you know, they didn't need to be pigeonholed into this episode so that we could have used them elsewhere, maybe for to a better. Yeah. Even though now they've become peaceful observers, they still don't yeah. seem to have kept kind of rather a dangerous look about them. Yeah, <laughs> rather right. than something more reassuring. <laughs> well, luckily, you know, we the doctor could travel anywhere in time and space, so maybe we, we see them, you know, you go back far enough in time, we're gonna find them as still as assassins, great. So. What was I think this it kind of is an also and it's always kind of I think fun when this happens and in some ways this kind of is the same sort of thing that happens in uh, the Curse of Peladon, because yeah. where the Doctor is, oh, Ice Warriors. Well, obviously they're the ones who are trying to disrupt the conference. So, <laughs> so it's always a little interesting when he gets uh, part wrong. He or she gets caught yes. wrong footed in the yeah. presumption. Well, and, and he, you know, she she runs into the situation, and goes, oh, those are the Jaren. What are they doing here? They're obviously here trying to mess everything up. Right, right away, she draws all these inferences that they're the ones causing the problem. You know. Yeah. Um, that all of Yaz's confusion and this whole situation probably has something to do with them, and it really doesn't. Um, so there, there's some really great like character moments for everyone in the cast, except for Ryan, unfortunately. But <laughs> he, he uh, gets kind of sidelined. That's okay. He has his other episodes in the season yes. where he's... Uh, um, and Yaz, over the, the course of Series 11, was actually, I felt like, the one that got sidelined, and she get, really gets to shine one of her only like episodes here where she's the focus right and um she's got a really great her and graham have a really great bit where she's just kind of frustrated and confused sitting outside of the house and he you know comes and does his like grandfatherly but he's got a really good um bit of you know basically just being a good granddad what he's there to do <laughs> and uh but the character moments in this episode are I felt like we're a little too rare in series 11 and that's another thing that works really well for me in this one is the development of the relationships between you know the fam as we're calling them now um right. the and the characters so yeah, well, there's a lot of fun moments and um actually watching this episode now i was uh, <laughs> realized i had like completely forgotten about uh, that graham has previously uh, not just at the end of season 12, but Graham has sat and had a like heart to heart sort of talk with Yaz. Yep. Yeah, it made me go back there too. Like, oh yeah, there is precedent for this. Like <laughs> they didn't just throw it in at the end. Like, um, it actually, the scenes very much reminded me of one another and I prefer the one in, in Demons to the one in the, the end. Although I have not gone back and done my big watch through series 12 yet. I will probably when we get a little closer to getting new ones, but um so if we ever discuss that episode, I'll have a lot to say about. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll see if. See, that's that that's the the thorn in the side. I thought it was such a cool idea to do this random thing because you know, but that means I can't just be like, hey, let's do that. I mean, I could, I could make the rules, but um, the randomizer, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and this uh, another thing that was really great about this episode for me was I just thought it was. Uh, the location shooting is just beautiful. I guess they shot it in Spain. Um, Spain or South Africa? Maybe Spain. I, I, I didn't actually look that up. Spain. Um, okay. And they chose the region specifically because 
supposedly it really has the vibe of that you know area of the world and um i don't know but e either way I, I i i myself have not you know been to the punjab region of india or to pakistan and um so you know you could have fooled me with anything but this really just i don't know it just like looks gorgeous and it's uh shot really well the new series if you could say anything super positive about the the since christian christian took over is the the kind of cinematic look of everything oh, it's just gorgeous it's a beautiful looking show now so. looks gorgeous it sounds gorgeous um every, everything is in those respects it's fantastic i have absolutely no criticisms there yeah technical crew and even what's fun was that uh, this little the remix that they did of the theme at the end was uh unexpected oh yeah that was great too unexpected so, and, i mean they've, they've played with that a little bit you know here and there but um yeah i thought that was really cool um the yeah i don't know like the whole the whole feeling of the of the show was great i think costume sets and everything and, and like i said it, it, it since it focuses on just a small group of people i guess it's kind of easy to pull off because you don't have to do like the grand um you know it's not taking place in a city uh, right. where you have to set up a you know, historical <laughs> backdrop right. um, but um, and they they make a direct inference to the tardis's telepathic translation circuits yep yeah, she kind of feed, feeds it the watch, and it's uh... <laughs> yeah. no. But even like when uh, when they meet uh, Prem on the cart, and he says, "Oh, your Punjabi is pretty good." Oh, right. <laughs> people who aren't locals, I say, okay. Yeah. So everybody can just talk in their native accents now without having to try yeah. to put on a different sort of accent. The the things that work so well about the episode um, kind of make me turn a blind eye to the couple of little gripes I had. Like I said, the doctor allowing Yaz to play genealogist I don't I don't really buy like just because of all the terrible situations that she you know or he and his, his previous incarnation incarnations have gotten into be doing things like this um right. the fact that she just kind of shrugs her shoulder and goes well okay I was kind of like eh, I don't know about that but <laughs> um and then also the, the another thing that um, and I don't know why I feel like I have to nitpick at it because generally I really like it but the uh the bhakti or the the um the priest that's coming yeah. to marry yeah. the the holy man that's coming to marry the yeah. uh, two of them. Um, he eventually is shot by right. um, Manish, right. and the doctor finds the doctor and the group of them find his corpse and aren't able to figure out what happened to him. Yeah, that, that, and then it turns that, out later that there is a. <laughs> you know, he was killed with a rifle. And it's yes. like, okay, hang on a second. <laughs> like, yes, I, I made a note of that, that uh, just a second. <laughs> yeah, and that, that one really like was a bit of a stretch for me. And I'm usually not, I usually don't get too hung up on things like that, but it's like, oh, they can't, you know, determine right. how he died if he's been killed by a rifle. Like that should be pretty obvious. Like, oh, he's yeah, got yeah. a gunshot. It wasn't, like, yeah, it wasn't something subtle, like you didn't choke him yeah. or poison him or something like that. So, right, and then, I, yeah, they could have gone. They could have gone with poison. They could have gone with yeah. something that wasn't <laughs> obvious because the whole like remainder of the plot kind of that's a moment because the doctor's convinced, of course, that that the Jaren had something. You know, right? They, they killed him, and right. um, if she sees the gunshot wound, that would have broken that right away. Like she'd know something was up. So I don't right. know why that way played the way it did, and they didn't go with something like poison or you know it's it's fine that that was what you know that Manish did that it made sense to his character and his eventual goals right. but 
the doctor and the whole group of people not being able to detect a gunshot wound on right a mostly nude man right <laughs> and you know like yeah exactly. i'm also not sure quite when he went and did that because <laughs> yeah he seems to true. have been with them for <laughs> yeah most of the most of the time that they're the doctor and and but the fam are okay. at the uh yeah but this one i think it's telling me that things just enjoy it <laughs> right right yeah i think the thing and that's the thing that shines is it is enjoyable and i think it yeah. it's the it, for me it's the moment and i don't want to detract from rosa because i did enjoy that one a lot and there's some other episodes some more sci-fi ones that i enjoyed as well it's not like series it's not like i dislike it it just um underwhelming is the best word i think <laughs> but uh this one really stuck out because i think out of all of them this is the one that actually did have that kind of you know doctor who can be a lot of things but there was always moments you know in the in the russell davies era and in the um stephen moffat era that you know he, they get they pull at the heartstrings a little bit they oh, yeah. get you into you know something sure. this was the this was the moment of series 11 really the only one that um really got me into into that um yeah. so it was, a, it was a big heavy episode with a lot of you know emotional content and i think it worked uh the doctor's got some great stuff in it um, I love her wedding speech. Uh, it's yeah. one of the best pieces of Jody dialogue from that whole season, I think. Um, yes. And well, the moments where the yeah. doctor doesn't seem quite as ignorant of human customs and behaviors as sometimes she, he, yes. or, and he acts as if they are. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, I guess I would, at this point, we're getting close to out of time on this one, but I wanted to ask if you had anything that we hadn't touched on like favorite moments or just kind of any thoughts about the episode that uh no i mean i think we covered uh most of the pretty much the major things um yeah no it was uh very good i mean there were little issues here and there um plot holes logic holes but uh not enough to sort of really fester in the mind and think that oh <laughs> so, yes. I mean, if if we were really people that got too hung up on that stuff, I'm not sure this would be our the show that we would be this <laughs> into. But <laughs> I was thinking that like uh, if, if like the uh, Bajari are you know they come to me do memorialize people who die you know unnoticed and unseen, and the testament also collect that. I mean, like following the doctor they must be following the doctor a lot yeah i was gonna they say the doctor's coming right out of these people all the time <laughs> 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 but yeah no otherwise uh, yeah well written very well directed well shot um overall i would i would agree for it was definitely the high point for uh, series 11. so if you had to give it a grade and i always try to do a unique uh rating system for each thing that we talk about uh so if you had to give it a grade out of five thajar and witnesses what would um what do you think you where would you land on this one um i think i would definitely go for at least uh four ajar and witnesses maybe even 4.5 so okay yeah I, i'm right about there with you i think this episode is generally a pretty great episode of doctor who it's probably my high point for series 11 i think i've said a couple of times already but um it's uh I don't know the use of the historical it just even though we have the sci-fi element it just seems like it's 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 kind of getting back to that like classic series right. historical um right. that we haven't seen much of i mean yeah. since since the black and white days yeah and uh -huh. um 
I mean, I have yeah. a lot of issues with I have a lot of issues with Chris Chibnall's thing, but certainly he's brought in a lot, a lot of new writers, a lot of new variety, and um, these sort of like again bring, coming back to historical things, um, a lot of more um, representation in terms of casting and characters and all that. And um, yeah, I mean, it's like I'm used to watching Doctor Who going to whatever medieval Europe or uh, Napoleonic Wars or all that stuff, but it, <laughs> right. it's always just watching the episode it's there's always just a slight air of disbelief that there's a doctor who episode set at the partition of india mm -hmm. wow <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> yeah i think it's interesting and i think it 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 shows that and this is a, you know the thing that maybe above all things appeals to me and has always appealed to me about doctor who is that it does have that ability to and it, it could still surprise you you know this far in but it has an ability to kind of adapt itself to any anything. Like you, you can use this medium to tell almost any story you can think of. I think um, it would have been interesting. Yeah, I think that in Hartnell's, I think it was Hartnell's time. It must have been Hartnell's time because it was going to be historical. They were thinking of doing one set in the uh, mutiny of uh, 1857 called the Red Fort, which never got made. But uh, mm -hmm. it would have been interesting to see how that would have been, and. Um, making making it at that time so yeah yeah at that time it might not have been quite as um, I, I, I have to say to... having listened to the crusades i i found it to be surprisingly like um yeah the nuanced and balanced and um it is it does so not was... really revel in stereotypes <laughs> and yeah it, it's so pretty like, okay. for 1960s television it's pretty fantastic i mean Doctor Who goes goes back and forth a little bit but i think generally yeah. it's always been a good progressive show like you could nitpick it because you know period of course you know, sure being a product of its time a bit but i think overall its trajectory is always it's always been way ahead of everything else that's going on in, in tv and in culture so people i think i think younger fans tend to unfairly at times criticize the the 60s tv and it doesn't mean that they're wrong or that anybody's wrong for you know uh because it's not because some of it is certainly there and and yeah. um yeah i think sure you're right I'm sure a lot of uh, some of the things really probably are just just not realizing that how this might seem important or not seem important. Then. Because um, yeah. for me, the biggest and I'm diver diverging a little bit here. For me, the biggest example is like uh, Tomb of the Cybermen, where um, every bad guy is like ethnic minority or brown or accented yeah. or something like that. But that, you know, just recently before that, they had had um, the tenth planet, where they had multiple ethnicities, and they had like a an African mm -hmm. astronaut, not like a British African or a African American, but like right. an African yeah. astronaut. So that was like, okay. Yep. So I guess some of these things just happened, and I don't think it was deliberate. So there's all it's the, just all... kind of weird to watch with a modern sensibility. Yes, and there, there's a lot of great moments that are examples of that, but I don't think anyone's ever going to get over, you know. The talents of Wang Chiang, <laughs> like that's always the one that people bring up as you know being right. culturally insensitive, and I won't argue that it's not because it, it certainly is a product of its time. We'll just leave yep. it at that. But um, yeah, and anyway, just get back to to my my scoring. I think I'm going to land at a four point five, the jarring witnesses out of five um, on this one. It really is a an episode, and maybe out of everything, um, 
I've seen so far from the Chibnall Whitaker era, this might is 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 a favorite. It's one of the one of my tops. So yeah, yeah, I like I, it I, I'm with you on that. Well, that was great. It really is a favorite episode of mine. What did you think, Emma? I am so 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 happy to be here. Um, okay. Well, can you tell us what's up next for Asad and I? Next up is an exciting audio adventure that also happens to be a video. Sounds good. Tell us a little about that one and we're off. This month we're talking about the Big Finish DVD, Big Finish Talks Back, Paul McGann, A Conversation with the Eighth Doctor. From the TARDIS Library at timelash.com. Big Finish Talks Back, Paul McGann, A Conversation with the Eighth Doctor. The Marriott Bristol Royal Hotel, December 2001. Actor Paul McGann met up with Big Finish producer Gary Russell to discuss, in depth, his career so far. From the early days on the West End stage, starring with this brother's, sick, in the musical review Yakety Yak, through to his TV breakthrough in the monocled mutineer and starring roles in movies such as Wide Nail and I, Alien 3 and The Last Emperor. Not forgetting, of course, his acclaimed portrayal of the Eighth Doctor in the 1996 TV movie Doctor Who. An intensely private individual, Paul McGann rarely grants interviews, so this DVD affords a unique glimpse into the thoughts of one of Britain's best-loved actors, as he talks openly about his life, his work and, in particular, his period as the time-traveling doctor. And the first that we'll talk about is the uh, Big Finish production, one of two DVDs that Big Finish has you know, produced back when they were predominantly a CD company. And now that has obviously gone the way of, um, although they do, they do still make CDs, but uh, they have a download service. If anyone's not familiar with Big Finish, they are a company that produces audio dramas of classical television series, predominantly Doctor Who, but also a lot of other uh, properties, the Avengers, uh, Dark Shadows. Didn't they start, off as, uh, didn't they start off as BBV though? So they were making videos with sort of Doctor Who. Not they, the doctor, but <laughs> there is some the some tangential like ties between those two companies. I don't know if it BBB came became Big Finish, but there is definitely like uh, I know Gary Russell was involved with right. both. Or I know like yeah, um, and I know that um, oh, what's the Nick Briggs was doing his Doctor um, <laughs> at it's just called Audio Adventures, but something along those lines uh, before Big Finish. So it was kind of the Big Finish before Big Finish, but. Um, so we are going to talk about the second DVD uh, that Big Finish produced, and that is Big Finish Talks Back, Paul McGann, which was a basically a long-form interview with Paul McGann with a nice special feature that uh, features an interview with Paul McGann and his first uh, Big Finish companion, uh, India Fisher, who played Charlotte Pollard um, in the Big Finish Paul McGann Eighth Doctor series. Um, yeah, there's not really a whole lot more to like talk about besides the fact this was a long form interview with Paul McGann. Do you have any um after watching it, any reactions or anything that you found new, I mean, surprising? A, like wasn't I mean it's very lot of very in fact it's almost because it's almost like a, I guess it almost seems very so so twenty twenty because <laughs> there's no like direct interaction as such. They're not they were on the screen at the same time, Gary Russell and uh, Paul McGann yeah. and never on the screen at the same time. So they no. could have just been doing it over Zoom. <laughs> right. 
But um, yeah, I mean, it's a nice, uh, it's an interesting interview. I mean, uh, they discuss a lot of uh, Paul McGann's uh, other uh, career at that point. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, he's a, he still is a nice, uh, gentle soul. And, and initially he seemed kind of not very much into it, but he gets seems to get a little more yeah. interested in the proceedings as I feel like you proceeds. <laughs> I feel like every time I've seen Paul McGann at, at Chicago TARDIS or whatever, um, which has been twice now, um, two different Chicago TARDISes, um, he's been kind of the same way. Like I feel like every time he sits in an interview chair, he starts off a little cold or a little sarcastic, a little jokey, <laughs> and then he'll get talking about something and he'll get that excitement, and right. um, then he gets yeah, he gets really into it. He's also very, and he's like I like this in person as well, but very. Um, he reflects on things. He's yeah. kind of slow. He takes a lot of yeah. pauses and, and yeah. he's very um, low key. He's uh, yeah. he's not the big boisterous like Colin Baker or something like no. that. He's very, <laughs> yeah. very low key, mellow. So yeah, so it was an it was interesting enough. Um, there's some I like some of the stories that then he starts remembering later on. Um, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, I think I like that little story about that uh, when Janet Fielding comes to meet him in Toronto and this kid turns up at the filming and he knows all about Janet's era of Doctor Who and it's like he's throwing out episode number (laughs) costume details and this and that and yeah didn't he say didn't Paul say that that was kind of the moment he understood like what what he was getting into when when Janet was accosted by a crazy fan not crazy but like you know no just knowledgeable yes yes, knowledgeable uh, young fan it's kind of like I think when it, when at the conventions, I'm always delighted by seeing the kids who are dressed up in classic costume. It's like, oh yes. <laughs> oh yeah, that that always makes me happy to see people, young people that are, yeah, that are into the classic series. Because yeah, one thing I did find interesting was that it sounds like Paul McGann wanted to have uh, basically Christopher Eccleston's costume and uh, hairstyle and whatever, just be a more modern rather than yeah. back in the frock coats and everything. So. I've heard him talk about that a couple of times. And, and essentially what he says is now now that this has all happened and we've seen it play out like the new series and all that, is he said he always kind of had something pictured that they eventually ended up doing for the new Big Finish costume, which then Stephen Moffat used for the Night of the Doctor right. uh, short that they did. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it is. It's similar to what Eccleston ended up wearing. He wanted it to be really bare bones. I liked the bit he was talking about how he had just done the Alien 3 with David Fincher and had had to be bald for that movie. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently it didn't occur to him to like let the production company know that uh, he had shaved his head for this movie and he showed up to do Doctor Who in Toronto bald. And everyone was like, oh no, this is... <laughs> so they had to get a wig at the last minute. So if anybody was ever complaining about you know the wig being a little shoddy in the TV movie... You could pretty much blame Paul McGann directly for that because, uh, yeah. I also like the follow-up story about how Eric Roberts didn't realize kind of till the end of the filming that uh, he always saw Paul in the wig and he didn't realize Uh that the other guy he was sharing the taxi with uh, or the bus with was also Paul McGann because then he was all skinny. Yeah, Yeah, the majority of the interview, and I did did think I had to take it in a historical aspect that it think like okay this was made only a few years after the tv movie right so paul mcgann didn't have this large body of work he'd only just started doing the big finish stuff 
Um, he had only really played the Doctor once, and then that first like quote unquote series of Big Finish stuff that they did. Um, so like, it's a little skewed, like the depth of it being more about Paul McGann than it is about Doctor Who. That doesn't make it bad or uninteresting. I think finding out, you know, his history and some of, you know, who he is, where he came from, some of his stories about acting with his brothers growing up. Right. Yeah. Um, it reminds me a lot about some some of the stuff he does when he, uh, you know, is on the convention circuit. Which, by the way, I got a kick out of the fact that Gary Russell asked him if he would ever consider doing conventions, and he said, "No way. I just don't think I'm a convention kind of person." <laughs> Which is funny because he's great at them. Like he, I think he yeah, was just yeah. self-conscious about like he didn't think you know that was going to be yeah. his thing. He couldn't do it, and he rose to the occasion. Yeah. And now he, he does them quite a bit, I think. And is... we we get them all eventually. If, if yeah. Tom Baker was in better health, then <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I may, I've the, always... the, the dream one is Chris Eccleston, right? If we can get him, it's uh, yeah. right. Well, I, I he made it to Gallifrey once, no, so yeah, yeah. It's just a hop and a skip. <laughs> Um, I did, I've always wondered, I mean, I like, um, I've always wondered though, how Paul McGann got cast as Sharp. Cause I don't <laughs> know if you've seen the Sharp, uh, show. I haven't, because, no. Yeah, because you know, he's, he's a gentle, soft-spoken person and Sharp series are like violent as Sharp is like all rough and tough and rumble. And you know, it's, it's played by Sean and Sean Bean mm -hmm. after the yep. initial after Paul had that accident where he broke his collarbone, so uh, there's a there's a big contrast between Sean Bean and Paul McGann. So yeah. I, I don't know how he <laughs> got cast as Sharp. It would have Sharp show would have been pretty different, I think, if yeah. Paul McGann had been in it. So uh. yeah, I know I haven't seen the show, but I I don't see him. I, he often gets cast in stuff that like he as a person doesn't seem like he he fits, but. He rises to it. I even think his doctor, as his doctor progresses, not necessarily the doctor from the TV movie, but as we go on with Big Finish, he he kind of takes a harder edge okay. to that to the doctor as well. Like I, um, he's certainly a darker doctor than, and I haven't even gotten as far as the the Time War series, okay. a couple of series that they've done recently with him, but. Um, I know throughout I've the only seen him in limited number of things, so obviously, so my perspective may be a little yeah. based upon his more actual persona rather than uh, how he how he ends up when he's acting. I haven't seen Alien Three, so I don't know how he. Alien Three, I have seen, but it's been years, and I'm not even sure the last time I saw it that I really knew who Paul McGann was. I had to do it like act like you know go back and think about it because i haven't rewatched the movie but like think about okay who was he and i think i've placed it in my head you know i can kind of picture him but he says um, he kind of disappears anyway so <laughs> yeah it's a very small part and according Resumed to him there was casualty. a lot a lot more than yeah than, doesn't uh, get his own death scene <laughs> right uh, but so, um that's a, a fun interview i mean if you like paul mcgann i guess you should watch it um yeah, and if, if you haven't ever had a chance to see Paul McGann at a convention or something, and this would, you know, um, would give you kind of a sense of what he's like. It's pretty, it's not yeah. rehearsed. It's pretty much like what Paul yeah. McGann's like when you sit down and speak with him. Like, that's, yeah. so that's a cool thing about it is it is a very low-key interview. It's not, you know, there's not a lot of production to it. It's just yeah. Gary, Gary Russell and Paul McGann in a room talking. And when he gets into some of the TV movie stuff, I, I, 
was really interested in. and I've, I've i've i own the dvd of the tv movie and i've watched all like all the special features on that so he didn't really have any like new stories for me but what i did like seeing in an unedited interview um and not that it's totally unedited but kind of in a long form interview was that he legitimately showed an excitement for the material and maybe it's because he was a little closer to it that i don't see him have a whole lot anymore maybe it's just because it's so far in his right. past but he um I really saw like a legitimate disappointment in sure. him talking about it, that this didn't become more of a thing. Um, and I think I, I misunderstood that about him, that he, he kind of talks about it now that like, it, you know, it was a job, it was something I did. It's cool. I'm happy to be here and talk about it, but you know, I, I'm an actor. It's what I do. And fair enough. I think that's, you know, that's, a realistic way for an actor to look at something right. like this. They're not going to be invested in it the way the fans are. But I, but in this interview, all of a sudden I saw like a little more, and I think it's, it must be that proximity to the actual event, but he was talking about some of the ideas that uh, Phil Siegel had for, for Doctor Who. He was talking about the, how much he loved the design of the Daleks and the original right. like yeah. uh, idea or uh, trajectory they had for the Doctor's character in that, uh, what would have been the first series of that show. And, um, so that was interesting. Like that was cool. I to actually see some that there was some excitement behind that because it's generally very maligned by fans, I think. And not not necessarily the movie. The movie's definitely got its it's got its detractors, but it's you know, it's kind of a fifty fifty I find with with a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, I mean it has um, but when you start diving into okay, what was Phil Siegel gonna do with the series and when you start to you know, it was gonna dig into a the doctor's past in a way that contradicted like the virgin new adventures line and it kind of contradicted what fans of the time saw as being canon which all has been thrown out at this right. point if they're even <laughs> i mean i don't even want to get into i don't want to get into though. canon yeah but <laughs> like, um, so the new canon gets tossed out in favor of yeah. whatever the next showrunner wants so. right yep yeah and it's um so yeah i know it really that's just a comment more than a question just um I thought that was interesting and kind of cool to to show that that investment in the material because there's times when Paul likes to play it cool a little bit I think and feel like seem like he's not so much invested in it and it's kind of cool to be like yeah see you look like you care a little bit here that's <laughs> I think to some extent I'm sure that for him there was like a double disappointment there that like first he would have been like in sharp and then he had his injury and then he got into so he lost out on that show as a lead and then Doctor yeah. Who and that didn't get picked up as a series. So I'm sure that for him that was a, it's a bit of a rough bit of a rough spot. So. Yeah. And they did it. Gary asked him one time about how he felt about breaking um, breaking the quote unquote rules of Doctor Who like you know um, <laughs> breaking canon or breaking you know continuity and I liked his answer because he said both Phil Siegel and he uh, had talked about it and that he they both felt that the Doctor is a rebellious kind of iconoclastic character so that it just kind of fits you're making a Doctor Who show that the rules are there to be broken and I feel like every single person who's taken on the mantle since then has done exactly that it has been fairly successful at doing at breaking the show's rules but you know moving it forward at the same time with those yeah, I guess um, you have to do a little little reinvention to keep things mm -hmm. um, fresh, and uh, and yeah, sometimes they get uh, embraced and sometimes they don't. And yeah, 
And sometimes they don't like right away. And then eventually either people just get used to the idea or I always find things are much more controversial when they're fresh. Um, you know, the yeah. kind of the, the mire and, and animosity people have towards Chris Chimnall right now, detractors do. Um, they're very loud on the internet. I find when I'm in a room full of Doctor Who fans, they're actually the best minority of people that are so negative. <laughs> and, um, but the, um, I mean, I, I remember being in, you know, the Facebook groups and everything, and people had the same kind of dialogue going about Stephen Moffat at the time, too. So, right. yeah, it's like, yeah, it's, everybody has their it's like, yeah, I mean, like me, I'm I would probably fall into the detractor of Chibnall, but I have I have my reasons. I have, you know, it's um, there are things I don't like he's done. There are some things that he's done that I like. And, but, it, you know, it's not like he's uh, murdered my childhood or anything like that. So it's like, yeah, okay. I, I don't disagree. I don't agree with that. I wish he hadn't done that. And um, you know, it's like I, I love personally. I love the Moffat era, but yeah. I'm not Same a here. super fan of this suddenly becoming the whole rule number one. The Doctor lies. Why? Why? Does, why is that rule number one? Why? I don't want the Doctor to be like a big fat liar. Yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> so. Right. No, and I yeah, I feel like that's. I, I kind of fall in the same place. Like they're uh, so far the Chibnall era, I've, I've enjoyed quite a bit of the things that he's done. I have some issues with others. They're not always the same issues as people, other people, but uh, yeah, uh, I think, I feel like series 12 was a vast improvement on 11, but anyway, I'm getting off of the yeah. topic, but <laughs> um, yeah, I don't really have a, a whole lot more to say about about that did you watch the little extra feature that had um india fisher yeah i mean i watched it i mean there's not all that much more to add like you said they're still pretty new in their their partnership so i do think that there was one note that i had that i did want to bring up that i thought was interesting about that interview and that they're just kind of talking about oh what they're doing you know kind of promoting you know we're doing this thing at big finish you know continuing the eighth doctor's story from where it left off and um they gary russell asked them like what is their favorite thing that they've done and paul right away jumps in with the chimes at midnight yeah that's that's the favorite thing and i think he calls it that's really an instant classic and at the time when this was recorded, that thing it was it was months old, I believe. Um, and so he he pretty much called that as being, you know, one of the like classic big finish things. Um, so I just thought that was interesting. He had that insight into that being a, a classic yeah. right off the bat. Like, but overall, um, I don't know. If I'll, I'll let you go first. But do you have any final thoughts? And uh, if you want to give this thing a grade um, out of <laughs> Out of five McGann brothers, I think we'll do uh, this for this one. I, I don't know. I would, I would grade it. It's it's a good interview, so I guess it should get five McGann brothers because it's a fine and ent entertaining enough um, interview. It's, again, it's like it's like I said, it's long form. They don't really do too much uh, flash and jazz on it, so it's just two people sitting and talking. So yeah, so that's it. Yeah. Mandate and it fulfills it. <laughs> this one falls in the category of is it, it is what it is. If you're going to buy this DVD, I think you know what you're getting into. Yeah. Um, essentially, it's like seeing a, a conversation panel at a, at a convention. It's just Paul McGann talking about Paul McGann. Um, and it's so much and, 
so in the so much in the past that you know you're not going to it's no night of the doctor or anything like that so <laughs> yeah but um i do feel like it's you know it's it might be a little bit for you know the doctor who fan it might be a little bit too much top heavy with the you know paul mcgann true hollywood story and not so much a doctor who conversation so i'm going to knock a couple points off for that um also i kind of was thinking about this thing's like way out of print it's hard to track down um yeah i mean not not too hard because i did i managed to but uh it's a little pricey and it's um out of print so like didn't want to give it a five because I don't want to say go out and buy it. it. It might be something that you might you could pass on. So I think I'm going to land at a 3.5 out of five McGann Brothers. It is definitely a good interview. It gives you a good sense of Paul McGann, uh, who like what he's like as a person, and um, you know his yeah. feelings about you know Doctor Who and what he's doing at Big Finish. But is I believe it... there was or is a Paul McGann estrogen brigade, so they may want to track it down. Oh yes, yeah. If you are if you are a Paul McGann super fan, this is probably a collector's piece you'll want in your collection. Like like a for me, it's something I I I I'm glad I have in my collection, and I'm glad it popped up on the randomizer, and it now you know it's with me forever. But um, is it essential viewing for the Who fan out there listening? Um, I would say that depends on your commitment to Paul McGann. If the Eighth Doctor is your doctor, yes, I this is yeah. you could definitely track this down. We have just one last bit of Doctor Who fun on this jam-packed episode of the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. As you know, if you're familiar with the show, we've talked about our television story, and we've talked about an audio adventure. And now, last but never least, we're going to talk about this month's Doctor Who book. Well, in this case, it's really more of a magazine. And for this segment, you'll never guess who we've talked into joining us for a chat. It's the one and only Asad Keski. We've not heard from him in almost a minute at this point. Emma. Can you tell these fine folks about the book we picked up for the show this time? This time we've read Spotlight on Doctor Who, The First Baker Years Part 1 by John Peel. It was originally published in 1988. From the cover of the book, Doctor Who is the ultimate traveler of time and space. Tom Baker is the ultimate Doctor Who. And only John Peel, a founder of Dwaz, the Doctor Who Appreciation Society, in England and editor of the definitive magazine about British entertainment, fantasy empire could tell the story of Baker's second year in the role. Combining exclusive interviews with detailed episode guides and carefully researched profiles, Peel does Tom Baker and Doctor Who proud. Um, we do have one more piece that I would like to uh, discuss, and, and Saad's going to hang out with me again for this one, so it might even be uh, more exciting than the Paul McGann interview. Yes. <laughs> and that is uh, the winner so far for longest title of something that we have uh, reviewed, on the, and it's going to beat the last one, which was Big Finish Talks Back's Paul McGann, a conversation with the Eighth Doctor. This is... Let me see if I can get all of them right. A Classic Files magazine spotlight on Doctor Who, The First Baker Years, Part 1. <laughs> so that's a, that's a mouthful. But that's written by uh, John Peel, who, of course, is a longtime contributor to, to the worlds of Doctor Who. 
and um, was actually the first person to write an original Doctor Who novel that was not based on a teleplay, I believe. Um, the uh, time, first Time Worm book for the Virgin yeah. series. And now, I read that as a Wikipedia fact, and I wrote it down, but I'm not sure I believe it now that I said it out loud, because Target Range did some did some original books not based on teleplays. Okay. Like, they did a... Yeah, Target had two. Um, Ian Martyr had one, like, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Ian Martyr, yeah. Harry Sullivan's War, and then... Um, yeah. Turlow had a book, was it? Yeah, was the Earthlink the Dilemma. Yeah, right. So, so yeah, technically, so, I think I gave... I think Wikipedia and myself just gave John Peel a credit that perhaps is not true, but he's done so much else for the world of Doctor Who. I it was the first along, original but, Doctor Who novel. I mean, the, that's true. Were like, it wasn't well, a Harry Sullivan. Novel. Early, you're right. You're so. right. So I guess it's in the it's in the the word you know the wording. So. Yes. <laughs> but, um, anyway, so John Peel did a huge amount of writing for a magazine that I can't find a whole lot of history on called Classic Files Magazine or Files Magazine, and what it appears to be from the almost nothing I can find about it, I can find tons of volumes of the the uh, collected work that they put out. Right. but is they essentially did guides and review um, magazines for, for pop culture science fiction shows. Like I saw that not only they have Doctor Who books, yeah. they have James Bond books, Star Trek books, uh, the yeah. series Man B. from Uncle. Yeah, Man from Uncle, <laughs> like all the spy shows, pretty much any sci-fi stuff that was around. Um, it looks like starting in kind of the late 70s and um, going in well into the 80s. But... That's really all I could find. I did some some searching around the internet trying to find like some history about them and you know John Peel's activity with and it's largely undocumented or I just didn't spend enough time uh, one of the two but I couldn't find much about it. So anyway, I have this volume here of um, you know classic. I should, have, files. I should have messaged him. He's a Facebook friend. So. He, he is a Facebook friend of mine too, <laughs> but I never actually like spoke like I I follow him. I comment on stuff every once in a while. He comments yeah. back, but like. <laughs> I wasn't sure I, it was appropriate to actually yeah. like reach out to say, I'm sure he wouldn't mind. He seems like a very great guy, but yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And maybe I'll still throw the question out just for fun um, and see what, if he has any thoughts, but the, um, so anyway, what this basically is, is a episode guide to mm -hmm. the first Tom Baker season of Dr. Who. Right. And that would be the season that includes a, uh, Robot, the Ark of Space, uh, Genesis, um, Genesis of the Daleks, uh, the uh, Santaran, Santaran experiment, and uh, Revenge, and of, Revenge the of the Cybermen. Yes, and um, John just kind of writes uh, a bit of a, a blurb about each episode, and um, it's put together with. Um, it's got a color cover, but most of the artwork inside is is black and white. But it does have a large fairly large amount of pictures of, of Tom Baker and scenes from the shows. Right. Um, I think by standards of contemporary like magazines at the time, it would have been, you know, a, a cool companion to the series because we're, as we always talk about, and um, you know, obviously generationally, I don't remember it. I, I wasn't watching at the time, but um, you know, these things were only played one time. So fans, you know, this was their way to one of the many ways you could go back and kind of relive that experience by reading the, um, and you know the description synopsis of the show and you know looking at pictures and, and such yeah. 
So, I guess now there's so much like professionally written books and critical analyses and all that. Oh, but yeah. I guess in those days, all you had were the fanzines. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think that's exactly what this is, is a early example of, you know, the of fandom kind of responding to Doctor Who. Right. And the book itself is is fine. It's more of a magazine. It, it I, I've got to call it a book because it's our book we're doing this month. But it is more of a magazine, although bound like a thin uh, paperback book. Um, it starts with an introduction uh, by John Peel that seems like an introduction not to this book. It's very odd. <laughs> it's kind of an introduction to Doctor Who in general. Yeah. It talks about Verity Lambert and Morris Hussein and like the the, yeah. the found, like the very beginnings of the series. Never once mentions you know Tom Baker or anything like that, uh, and then just kind of like unceremoniously drops you into. It's a great, it's a, it's a well-written and perfectly acceptable introduction to Doctor Who, but it seems out of place as an introduction to this book. Like they just kind of tacked it in there, but. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it even sort of just seems to like uh, randomly end with some mention of Delia Derbyshire, if I'm remembering correctly. And, yeah. Uh, and it just <laughs> I think that's ends. absolutely correct. <laughs> so. Yep. It almost seems like it was a, a piece that was going to go on from there because they just kind of started talking about the music and right. then like i kind of expected to be turning the page like i thought it was going to like catch us up to the history of doctor who up to the point where the right. season started and it didn't it didn't at all so that just seemed a little little out of place but yeah. uh, what's sure also it's... interesting is that just all the pictures that even accompany the introduction are from baker it's like there's no pictures of william hartnell or anything like that even though that's yeah, even though the text is unrelated to Tom Baker, they didn't even take the time to put it together that way. But anyway, it's okay. It was a perfectly acceptable uh, intro, I guess. Just seemed a little out of place. I think the thing that um, was most interesting about this, and I, I, you know, like Asad and I were joking before we started recording, and I'm not sure we're going to have a whole lot to say about this because it, essentially this is just an episode guide. So if we've seen the episodes, um, we're not going to get a whole lot more out of this. It is kind of cool to have this in your collection if you do come across. They're they're relatively inexpensive if you can find them. Uh, I found this one on Abe Books uh, at a UK bookstore. It cost me practically nothing to purchase and um, almost double that to ship it. So that's yes. one of those silly things about buying books from the UK, but it happens. So uh, they are relatively inexpensive. You can find one, but shipping it, you know, overseas might be a different story. But um, but it is interesting to have this in your collection now because the recent Blu-ray release of this series, um, it, you know, could work again sure. as a companion of working your way through that, although they have a lot of great special features and I'm not sure you're going to get anything out of this book yeah, um, I mean, that you don't have there, except that John Peel has an interesting spin and I think it's fun. It's fun to look at this because this is essentially contemporary to when this was airing or just shortly after. Right. This was published. Right. Um, he kind of has a different take on some of these episodes that are considered to be Doctor Who classics. And I yeah, guess the yeah. one that like pops right out at me is he didn't really seem to care for Genesis of the Daleks. Yeah, so. that, I, I noticed that. That was very. In, that was interesting. That mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, it's some. Now it's really. Oh, this is like a real classic. Yep. 
I mean, like, that's one of those, like, top episodes that people go to, like, you know, oh, I want to watch classic Doctor Who, what should you watch? Genesis of the Daleks is one of the ones that people pop out right away. And I mean, his issues are, but his issues are not invalid with them. No, no, they're not. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And his, I mean, he, he, he doesn't pull any punches and takes target at at Terry Nation's writing. And I, I don't think he's totally wrong. Um, I think if you've watched Doctor Who in sequence from its very beginning and you've watched the Dalek stories and you you kind of already know that, you know, a lot of these points about Terry Nation and what you're going to get. But um, so that was interesting. I also think his uh, Ark in Space is another one that's a, a, to me uh, even more, maybe more than Genesis is like a classic. Like it's uh, up there with, you know, top, top 10 best Baker stories. Baker was around for so long. I think you can talk in top tens, but um, he didn't seem super keen on that one <laughs> either. Just kind of, honestly, I got the, I got the impression <laughs> that he didn't care for much of this season. Like, yeah, he's, I don't think there's any story that he really comes out and says that, yeah, this is uh, this is great. Although I, I don't, I don't think I got the same that he was quite as negative about arc in space as, uh, as no, not as negative. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, but uh, no, Ark in Space is definitely fantastic. Um, yeah. No question about that. Um, and the, um, I always thought that that run of Ark in Space, basically the um, Nerva, the Space Station Nerva, like mm-hmm. mini series that's in this series. So like Ark in Space and um, Santaran Experiment, Genesis of the Daleks. I always thought that whole like group of episodes were like really great classic stuff. Um so it's just interesting to see a, right. a, a review of it that doesn't kind of match the. <laughs> I think we get entrenched in uh, as fans of Doctor Who and like which episodes are the good ones and which episodes are the bad ones and sometimes it's fun to see a different take on that. I'm not yeah, going to yeah. stop loving Genesis because he didn't like it, but I think he's got some valid points. Like right. it's, um, I think you can love things and still see their faults as they are, um, and. Yeah, I, mean, it's, I think from what I understand, Deadly Assassin when it came out was really unpopular. <laughs> it was very, very unpopular. So. <laughs> In fact, uh, I, I, I did mention earlier to you that I, I had proposed a um, panel for the digital Chicago TARDIS that's going mm-hmm. on in, a, in a, a little over a month. And um, that was one of my, that was my panel is I want to talk about the the timeless children um, kind of it's it's shockwaves that it's sending through fan, uh, Doctor Who fandom, but also compare it with the shockwaves, you know, of, of the, the former shockwaves of the series. That is, um, you know, starting with Power of the Daleks with the first regeneration and right. then moving to the war games, uh, you know, um, right. with the, you know, Time Lord and just basically all the big revelations. And let's compare yeah. and contrast and see, see if it's really, you know, the end of Doctor Who, like people are proclaiming that, obviously it's not but yeah i mean because <laughs> so not to digress too much onto the timeless children but uh right you know at the end it can just say yeah you know actually the master he was lying so yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say the entirety of this this narrative that we got was out of the mouth of the master so i'm not sure why everybody's convinced it's gonna stay the truth anyway but right. that's okay Plus, i mean there's a lot of um I guess the things that have to be looked at are also the time that the shows were made. 
forget, was it you who told me that um, Brain of Morbius was made before Deadly Assassin? Um, that might be true. I, I don't I, remember. Somebody I had remember pointed we were... that out. And um, that basically, you know, when they made Brain of Morbius, sure, they did this whole thing about are those incarnations of the Doctor? Are those incarnations of Morbius? Who knows? But then <laughs> later on, they decided, okay, okay, so now we bring in the 12 uh, incarnations. So you don't need yeah. to necessarily remember all that. So. <laughs> yeah. We well, kind of... they, they were certainly more spotty about continuity back, oh, yeah, yeah. back in well, the day. I Nowadays, think... we're obsessed with it because, you know, well, it's like television's yeah. a different. Yeah. And Terrence Dick said that, you know, canon was whatever we could remember we had. So, <laughs> right. like, yeah. yeah, but anyway, we, yeah, we, so. we we also just will we just sort of wipe out something. I guess yeah. that's just one of our human things. What we, you know, like we don't talk about the doctor being half human anymore. Right. We, we don't we don't wonder why 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 do the Vogan why do the the Vogans the uh, <laughs> Omega, why why do they have the symbol of Rassilon? What's the deal with that? <laughs> oh right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, if you, it, it especially in Doctor Who, but really any long running series, if you start to get hung up on those stuff, which some people do, but it, you're never going it, to, it's there to have fun with if you want to talk about continuity, you want to make your own headcanon. Yeah, but yeah, it's fun to see sometimes writers, yeah, writers will write a novel that brings a grand unified theory of how Atlantis got destroyed three times or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is the Loch Ness monster the Saracen or is it the Borat? <laughs> but yeah, oh God, so such a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know if I have a whole lot more to say about the. Um, yeah, that's an entertaining read. It's um classic I, I files, know, but I don't know why when I first started reading it, I thought it might be just you know sort of uh, puff pieces. I have hmm. I had absolutely no reason why I would think that, but for some reason I thought it would be. Um, yeah, just kind of uh, turned out not to be the case. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a little bit more like our modern quote unquote episode guide that didn't have a whole lot of critical right. um, like analysis of the of the shows. I thought it was going to be like this show is, you know, here's the plot. Here's the stars. Here's some pictures. And that was yeah. you know going to be it. So actually, I'm pleasantly I was pleasantly surprised that we got a little bit more. We got, you know, a, a, essentially what was a John Peel review. Right the entire first series, uh, Tom Baker's first series. Yeah. And um, seeing how we yeah, thought so of I'm... Genesis of the Daleks, I suddenly have this urge to go back and read those his uh, novels, the War of the Daleks and Legacy and see what he yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what he did over there. <laughs> yeah, and I've never read either either of those. I have read a couple of his books. I know for a fact I have read the first um, Time Worm Genesis, the, the Gilgamesh, uh, the first yeah, which is um, so. I feel like I need to read. <laughs> I feel like I need to read some more John Peel books because I. Uh, I like yeah. his novelizations that he did of the. I uh, I can't remember if I've read any of his or not. I'll have to go back and look at all my Target books, which are somewhere behind me there, but yeah. and see okay. which. I know I read uh, the second part of the Dalek Master Plan. And oh, right. I have the first part of it, and I have the Evil of the Daleks. I haven't read them. I think so. I have the audiobooks of those, the BBC audio ones they did. And those would have been the John Peel versions, I'm sure. Uh, so. Yeah, I listened. I listened to the. Yeah, I listened to the. Um, 
Last and, Man. Yeah. Yeah, and the audio books, not the um, the audio tracks oh, okay. with with narration, like right, the right. the actual audio book ones that are the John Peel books. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, there. It's, it's some of those some of those lost episodes. Now we have so many different options for for consuming. <laughs> it's kind of interesting that them being yes. lost has led to there being six different versions of them. But <laughs> especially Shada. But yeah, Dalek's Master Plan's another one. But yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. So it's it's a perfectly fine book if you could pick it up. It, it like they're charging practically nothing for these. The problem is that they're all in the UK. So if you yeah. If someday, you know, we actually can be traveling abroad again and pop into a bookshop and see these things that you could probably pick them up for, you know, a couple bucks a piece. And, um, and you never know I, to use store, use bookstore or a toy store or something like, because I think my local uh, independent toy store has a lot of Star Trek files magazines. Oh, do they? Yeah. So I'll have to go back and check. I know they have some, something like that. So. Yeah, that'd be cool to find. I mean, There's any so of these things Pick them so up many for... reference sources. I mean, I, I <laughs> think I see in your background the complete set of the Doctor Who. Uh, it's it's a, annoyingly it's an almost complete set oh, of the Doctor okay. Who. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm missing some, and I'm on the hunt for them. So ah, if I can okay. find them at a decent price, and luckily, it, and I was bummed. Obviously, for many reasons, I'm bummed. There's no TARDIS this year, but not being able to go and scour for right. my books that I'm looking for is a, one of the reasons I'm disappointed. So. I don't think there's going to be any way they can do that digitally. <laughs> but yeah, so it's a perfectly good book. John Peel's got a lot of personality. Uh, I like his writing and his his reviews are interesting because they're you know a little different. I feel like he he liked Attack of the Cybermen more than he liked Genesis of the Daleks, which is super interesting to me <laughs> because I'm I'm kind of the opposite of those two. That but that's cool. That's what uh, talking and reading and you know dealing with other fans is all about i feel like so yes, yes um so and this is uh my i'm gonna have us do a rating here and i want to point out that my rating system for this is out of out of love because i absolutely love this man's sideburns but i want to rate this <laughs> out of out of five john peel sideburns um if, if you uh if you're um, you are aware of what what john peel uh, looks like yes. and has for many years now um <laughs> So yes, indeed. Hopefully, he would not They're be impressive. offended by this. <laughs> They're impressive. Uh, what What do you think of, about this book in general, and is it worth worth seeking out, or any of these books? Because John wrote many of these Doctor Who files books. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. At this point, I'm not sure if one would necessarily need to make an effort to go out and look for it. There are a lot of options out there to read analyses. Um, uh, more detailed analyses uh, with more background information. Um, I think if somehow you found that you agree with the way John Peel thinks, then uh, maybe it would be worth looking. I mean, I would rate it maybe as a 3.5 to 4 uh, John Peel sideburns because it's, a, it's an entertaining enough read. It's a quick read. Um, doesn't take too much of your time away. Um, but yeah, not really. Don't really need to go out of your way to find it. I think. Yeah, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna pretty much agree with you there. It's um, it's it's a perfectly good read, like you said, quick and uh, and fun. And I I think John Peel's a good and interesting writer and has an interesting point of view. But um, 
yeah to actually like seek this out at this point because it's 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 a bit of an antique almost at this point um i that you know leave that up to me i'll, I'll do all that kind of weird stuff and we'll review it here and uh i'm gonna say it's probably not one you need to be sending away for like i did to do this show um but yeah if you came across this in a store for a buck or two i mean absolutely yeah. it'd be worth having on your shelf just to, just as a you know kind of cool vintage doctor who magazine yeah um, so yeah i think i'd give it a like two and a half out of five john peel sideburns for this one so um yeah i think uh there's not not too much to discuss about it i mean <laughs> yeah we managed to talk quite a bit about it but <laughs> so yeah and i was uh i was talking to i think i think before we started recording i can't even remember anymore but uh to Asad about um kind of the format of the show and that's just going to be a continuing challenge using a totally random system out of any doctor who publication or any doctor who so we may find that we might need to program some um parameters new parameters into the uh the randomizer we'll see see how that goes i might try it one more time but if we come up with another month of kind of obscure uh reference works like we did uh this month i mean um, i mean it was I certainly of, faster to read the files magazine than it would have been yes that was my other thought is that it, it's nice some months to you know not have to read a novel because a novel is a big undertaking <laughs> random one yeah and yeah because it's what i reading so it's like uh, okay right and if, you get stuck, die. <laughs> if you get stuck with the wrong one yeah it, it can be a, it can be a chore because i've i've read a couple that were not my favorite i I've, I've always made a point to finish but so yeah so i suppose there's there's pros and cons either way maybe i maybe i just keep it exactly a, the same so Anyway, any, anybody out there listening uh, has any ideas or um, you know would like to weigh in on what you'd like to hear about if you you know if you find this to be a boring total waste of your time I suppose uh, we can uh, think about changing things a little bit or tweaking the randomizer a little bit but yeah yeah so I would like to uh, thank you once again Assad for joining us I did all three of them this month that's uh very ambitious <laughs> no, no it's fun as, as i said it's fun as always i'm always always up for it yeah appreciate so. you being here especially for the uh paul mcgann and the tom baker book because i'm not sure those were exactly like you know <laughs> big ticket items that people were like chomping at the bit to to talk about so yeah appreciate you taking a look at that stuff and uh being here to talk to with us about it and um yeah i hope you'll come back and join us soon i will uh after I get yes. done kind of patching this thing together, we'll spin the randomizer again and let everybody know what's coming up Sounds next good. time. And I do want to invite everybody out there listening to the Police Box and Junkyard podcast that if you would like to be a part of the show, uh, join us on the Facebook group. We'll announce uh, usually about a month in advance what we are going to be reviewing next time. And um, you can get in on the action and... Uh, come on the show and let us know what you think about your favorite episode or your favorite Doctor Who novel, whatever it is that we end up picking. So take a look at if there's anything that uh, appeals to you, we'd love to hear what you think. So. Like we do at the end of every show, it's time to hit the big red button on the machine we call the randomizer. <laughs> 
And there we have it. In all in time and space, where did we end up this time? Next month on the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast, our TV story is The Hand of Fear starring Tom Baker as the fourth Doctor. Thanks again for listening. I hope you will consider joining us next time for our discussion about a Doctor Who television story, as well as our discussions about Doctor Who audio adventures, both audio books and audio plays. Also, we will be doing discussions of Doctor Who novels, nonfiction books, and other fun stuff. Until next time, I have been your host, Eric Branson, and this has been the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. Special thanks to all of our guests and contributors. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a proud member of the Video Junkyard podcast family and can be found on most major podcast providers including SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Podcast Addict, and Spotify. Doctor Who theme composed by Ron Grainer, arranged as Doctor Who retro theme by Neon Frontier. All rights to Doctor Who and its related materials belong to the BBC. I'm Larry Van Mersbergen, host and producer of the Doctor Who Collectors Podcasts. Now that you're listening to a thorough discussion of random Doctor Who episodes, why not find them on the Target book range, or the hardcover, or anything else with Doctor Who? For all things Doctor Who collectibles, tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and everywhere you find your Doctor Who podcasts. Also a proud member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. You're listening to Police Box in a Junkyard Podcast. His hands, you ask him, he may show it. He simply elevates. Hello, fellow time travelers. I'm Tony Witt with the Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast, the podcast in which we undertake the insert adjective here task of discussing in story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. I'm joined by... Dalton Hughes. And by... Alison Fitzsafrey. And we record our episodes twice a month. You're listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. Enjoy your travels. Do you ever get a flash of a memory of a movie you saw as a child but can't remember the name? Perhaps you caught it on TV while staying up later than you should have. Or maybe you never saw it, but you recognize the cover art from the neighborhood video store around the block. At the Video Junkyard Podcast, we dig up these forgotten films and franchises and see if they still hold up in the digital age. You know, one person's trash is another's treasure, something like that. Each episode, hosts Eric Gilbranson and Joe Peterson discuss a number of films selected thematically. We'll be looking at the best, the worst, and the best of the worst at the Video junkyard podcast.